Imagine a small town with a population of a few thousand people. Near the edge of the town is a ravine, and across that ravine is a wooden bridge. The bridge has stood over the ravine for decades, and every day a handful of people cross over it. To celebrate the town's 50th anniversary, you are organizing a parade to run from one end of the town to the other. You expect most of the residents in the town will be attending, which may be over 2,000 people. As the day of the big parade approaches, you begin to wonder if the bridge is sturdy enough to support everyone in the parade, especially because so many people will be on the bridge at the same time. You fear that the bridge might give out in the middle of the festival, or that it may be damaged during the proceedings. How should the bridge be tested to ensure it's ready for the big day? How do you keep everyone safe? This town is your body, the bridge is your heart, and the parade is the stress of an operation. During any surgery, the heart can be stressed. We need to know how to ensure a patient can tolerate an operation, how to identify patients at higher risk, and how to medically manage them. Today, our patient is going for surgery, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Crossing the Bridge, Preparing the Heart for Surgery. Let's start with some minute physiology. Cardiac complications are responsible for a significant amount of morbidity and mortality in patients undergoing non-cardiac surgery. The amount of energy consumed by the heart is determined by the preload, afterload, contractility, heart rate, and the structure of the heart. Surgery can cause additional stress on the body, and this leads to a response sometimes referred to as the perioperative stress response. Surgery causes release of inflammatory cytokines, stimulating hormones such as ACTH, cortisol, aldosterone, and ADH, and an increase in sympathetic drive. This process can raise the metabolic rate of the body, which increases the demands on the heart. The heart is further stressed by perioperative changes in heart rate and blood pressure. Additionally, anesthetic agents can cause myocardial depression and perturbations of the cardiovascular system. The increased demand on the heart is compounded by a risk for decreased myocardial perfusion perioperatively due to hypotension or anemia. Surgery can also be arrhythmogenic, and it is not uncommon for patients to develop tachyarrhythmias or bradyarrhythmias following a non-cardiac operation. Finally, if there is an ischemic event intraoperatively, patients will be anesthetized and therefore unable to report symptoms. Ischemic events postoperatively can be masked by analgesia. This can result in a silent myocardial infarction, which can predispose patients to increased morbidity and mortality. Monitoring of troponin or performing an ECG postoperatively may help detect some of these otherwise missed events. Alright, now that we've explained the cardiac risk of surgery, let's discuss how to approach a formal assessment. You're asked to see a 60-year-old man with a known history of heart failure and stable ischemic heart disease. He is planning to undergo an elective knee replacement, and, given his cardiac history, the surgeons have asked you to assess his cardiac function prior to the operation. Should this patient undergo a preoperative cardiac risk assessment? When performing a preoperative cardiac risk assessment, the first step is to determine the urgency of surgery. If a surgery is emergent, for example a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm, then it is inappropriate to delay the operation 
because it is unlikely that performing a dedicated cardiac assessment will provide benefit. Emergency surgeries should always proceed, accepting that there will be inherently a greater risk of morbidity and mortality given the emergent nature of the procedure. For non-emergent surgeries, the next step is to determine if the patient truly needs a dedicated preoperative cardiac assessment. For some patients, the cardiac risk of surgery is sufficiently low that a formal assessment is not needed. The 2016 Canadian Cardiovascular Society guidelines recommend that assessments only be undertaken in patients aged 45 years or older, or for patients aged 18 to 44 with known significant cardiovascular disease. In this context, significant cardiovascular disease includes cardiac, cerebral, or peripheral vascular disease, as well as severe pulmonary hypertension or severe obstruction to flow through heart valves, like severe aortic stenosis. These patients should then be divided into those going for urgent or semi-urgent surgery and those going for elective surgery. For patients going for urgent or semi-urgent surgery, for example repairing a hip fracture, there is still risk in delaying the operation. Urgent and semi-urgent surgeries should proceed to operation without a dedicated cardiac risk assessment unless the patient has an unstable cardiac condition, severe pulmonary hypertension, or severe intracardiac obstruction, like severe aortic stenosis. If the clinical exam does suggest severe cardiac pathology, this should be urgently investigated prior to surgery. Further testing will help inform the decision to proceed with, delay, or cancel surgery, and can also guide surgical technique, anesthetic care, and postoperative management. For patients undergoing elective surgery, like our gentleman awaiting a knee replacement, the cardiac assessment begins by using a validated scoring system to calculate the perioperative cardiac risk. The first one of these scoring systems was developed by Goldman et al. in 1977 and is known as the Goldman Index. Since then, newer risk indices have been developed. We will discuss the Revised Cardiac Risk Index, or RCRI. While it was derived many years ago, it has been thoroughly validated and remains widely used. The RCRI is based on six predictive factors, each of which increases the risk of a major cardiac event, as defined by MI, pulmonary edema, VFib, or primary cardiac arrest and complete heart block perioperatively. The six components are high-risk surgery, intraperitoneal, intrathoracic, or supraanguinal vascular, ischemic heart disease, history of MI, history of positive exercise test, current chest pain considered due to myocardial ischemia, use of nitrate therapy or ECG with pathological Q waves, congestive heart failure, including pulmonary edema, bilateral rails or S3 gallop, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, or chest x-ray showing pulmonary vascular redistribution, and cerebrovascular disease, such as prior transient ischemic attack or stroke, insulin use for diabetes mellitus, or renal dysfunction with a creatinine greater than 177. One point is awarded for each of the risk factors. At zero points, the rate of a major cardiac event is 0.4 to 4%. However, this rate increases up to 11 to 15% in individuals with three or more points. It should be noted that while the RCRI score does not include conditions like severe pulmonary hypertension or severe aortic stenosis, these less common conditions remain critical to predicting perioperative risk. Once the RCRI is estimated, you should discuss the cardiac risk of surgery with the patient. You should help lead a discussion about the risks and benefits of surgery, make a recommendation regarding further investigations and whether to proceed with surgery, 
and ultimately come to a decision based on the patient's values. Research, including a systematic review, has shown that cardiac risk is best understood when it is explained as the expected rate per 100 patients. For example, saying something like, if we had 100 patients just like you going for the same operation, we would expect 7 to 10 of them to suffer a serious cardiac event. That also means that 90 to 93 of these patients would go through surgery without a cardiac complication. What about further risk stratification and post-operative management? Certain patients will benefit from preoperative blood work to help guide postoperative monitoring. Two special proteins, BNP and NT-proBNP, leak out of the heart when it is excessively stretched. Elevated levels of BNP or NT-proBNP in the blood can be a sign that the heart is struggling to pump blood effectively, and elevated levels are correlated with increased cardiac complications perioperatively. The CCS guidelines recommend that BMP levels should be measured in patients 65 or older, those aged 45 to 64 with significant cardiovascular disease, and those with RCRI of one or higher. If the BNP or NT-proBNP levels are above a certain cutoff, patients will benefit from additional postoperative monitoring, while if it is below the cutoff, only routine monitoring is recommended. For those with an elevated NT-proBNP or BNP level, Postoperative monitoring should include daily troponin measurements for two to three days, an ECG performed in the post-anesthetic care unit, and a shared care model of management. Troponin and ECG monitoring can help detect ischemic events that may otherwise be masked by postoperative analgesia. Shared care management refers to a multidisciplinary approach to postoperative care, including a surgeon and a medical specialist, for example, an internist, cardiologist, or a geriatrician. If postoperative troponin or ECGs do indicate an ischemic event has occurred and there's evidence of myocardial injury due to surgery, the CCS recommends initiation of low-dose aspirin and a statin, along with follow-up by a medical specialist. When a perioperative ischemic event occurs, it may be appropriate to have an assessment by a cardiologist prior to discharge. Here are some do's and do nots of cardiac risk stratification. It is important to highlight that certain investigations have not been shown to be of benefit in the perioperative cardiac risk assessment. Specifically, routine preoperative stress testing and coronary artery imaging has not been shown to benefit patients. Conversely, a thorough history and physical are essential for accurate risk stratification. This includes ensuring that the patient is stable from a cardiac perspective and does not have active heart failure or angina. It is also essential to inquire about the patient's past medical history, including cardiac surgery as a child. While the CCS guideline does not focus on congenital heart disease, these patients are at particularly high risk of cardiac morbidity and mortality during non-cardiac surgery. For patients with complex congenital heart disease, including cyanotic congenital heart disease, Detailed guidelines are available for perioperative management, and it is most appropriate to perform surgery at a tertiary care center. We will now review general points for preparing for surgery, and we will quickly discuss recommendations for the use of chronic cardiac medications in the perioperative period. Statins should be continued in the perioperative period. Beta blockers for chronic cardiac conditions should be continued on the day of surgery, 
but new beta blocker treatment should not be initiated within 24 hours of surgery. Initiating a beta blocker within 24 hours of surgery may increase the risk of perioperative hypotension, bradycardia, and mortality. ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers should be held 24 hours before surgery and only restarted on day two after surgery due to the risk of hypotension. Aspirin should be discontinued at least three days before surgery, except in patients with a recent coronary artery stent or who undergo carotid endarterectomy. Aspirin should be restarted postoperatively when the surgeons feel the risk of bleeding related to surgery has passed. Let's spend our medicine minute talking about smoking cessation. Prior to surgery, patients should be counseled about smoking cessation. The longer the cessation before surgery, the greater the reduction in perioperative risk. Smoking leads to tissue hypoxia, which impairs wound healing and predisposes to infection. Cigarettes cause elevated carbon monoxide levels in the blood, which can promote arrhythmias and impair cardiac contractility. Smoking cessation even 12 hours before an operation may improve surgical outcomes. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Crossing the Bridge, Preparing the Heart for Surgery. Remember, there's an infographic on our website that you can download, along with further reference and reading materials at www.theinternetwork.com. This episode was written by Dr. Jonah Himmelfarb, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Louise Harris, cardiologist, and Dr. Savannah Cardu, general internal medicine. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Leah Karianopoulos and Zara Morali, and is overseen by Dr. Daniel Brandt-Vegas. This episode was recorded and produced by Leia Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshman Vasanthamoan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.